Now, today we're going to start a new series. And this new series is something that I think is central to the Christian faith. So if you are not a Christ follower today, I'm so glad you're here because what you're gonna hear about today is the heartbeat of God for our world. And you're gonna be able to understand what God thinks about you what God thinks about our world. And you might hear something today that's a little bit different than what you've seen modeled by Christ followers who are supposed to represent God to the world. If you are a Christ follower, I'm glad you're here today because we're gonna hear about some things today and in this series that has huge implications for us in how we behave, how we treat each other, and how we treat the world that God has placed us in. So as we begin, I wanna introduce you to a little book that I have. This little book is called The All Better Book. And it was written by an educator. Her name is Susie Beckett, and she wrote it in the early 90s. And as an educator, she would be working with her elementary school students, like eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. And so what she decided to do was let me present to them some big problems in the world and ask them, how can we make the world a better place? And she compiled some of their answers into this cute little book. So let me read a few of these to you. So first thing she presented to her students was this. There is a hole in the ozone layer of uh, the gas that protects the earth. How would you repair a hole like that? And little Matthew, age nine, said, well, I would use a kaleidoscope to look at the ozone, then take super glue, 1,500 Band-Aids, 28 stickers, one five-by-nine piece of ice, and 1,500 pieces of bubble gum and stick everything in the ozone. That should fix it. And I'm thinking, man, his name shouldn't be Matthew. It should be MacGyver. Like, wow, he's fixing stuff with bubble gum. That's fantastic. Okay, then... She talked about this issue of kids and drugs and how do we keep kids away from drugs? And she said, what would you do to keep kids away from drugs? And Barrett, age nine, says, I would open a carnival in every town. Now, if you've been to a carnival, I'm pretty sure there's some drug activity going on. <laughs> Most of the carnivals I've been to, every once in a while, the person who was operating the ride I was about to step on, I'm like, I think, I'm not sure, don't want to judge, but I think maybe they're on drugs right now. There will be no drugs at our 10-year birthday celebration carnival. Just saying, you know, if you want a drug-free zone. So Kerrigan, age nine, says, uh, you know, to get drugs, you would need a special card. And you can only get that when you're 36. So I'm thinking, at age nine, what does Kerrigan think about a 36-year-old? Like, you are so old, like, you just might as well get on drugs because your life is almost over. Uh, Or... At 36, you should have everything figured out, not you know, be tempted by drugs. We, we know both of those things are challenging for all of us. So then she presents this one. How can men and women get along better? You know, there's some real issues in our world with uh, gender issues that are there. And so I think very valid question. So Chris, age nine, says, uh, we just need to understand that girls like to stay clean and healthy and brush their teeth. <laughs> and boys don't care. Chris, age nine, has summarized the difference between men and women right there. Boys just don't care. So Jennifer, age eight, says uh, they should just understand that women are more mature than men. So true. Julie, age nine, says uh, men and women should not talk about money. Wise advice, wise advice, young Julie. You will do well in life. 
So last one for today. She asked this. She said, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Kalani, age eight, says people should find lonely people and ask them their name and address and then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. And when you have an equal amount of each, assign lonely and non-lonely people together in the newspaper. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Kalani is a CEO of some major business in the world right now, doing very well for herself. And then Matthew, age eight, says we can get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. Makes you wonder what little Matthew thinks about marriage. (laughs) So with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. You know, loneliness is a major problem in our world. It's something we often overlook. Leads to depression, leads to even the extremes of suicide in, in many moments. It's having some major impacts and major effects on us, not just relationally, but our health as well. So listen to what a former Surgeon General of the United States said in an article dated September 27, 2017. He said this, during my years of caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. So just understand that. Like, if you're a smoker, as long as you smoke less than 15 cigarettes a day, you're better off than that that person that's stuck in their house, lonely, feeling isolated, feeling disconnected. Uh, if, If you like to eat a lot, like I do, then uh, you're probably better off than that lonely person. And I I say, today, how about we all just go to Golden Corral? We could do it as a church and make sure everybody that's there does not feel lonely. It's having some major impacts on us in our health. It's also having impacts on a younger generation that I think is kind of surprising. So there's another study that I came across called the Cygnus study that happened in 2018 that found that people between the ages of 18 and 22 are some of the loneliest people in the world. I was kind of surprised by that. I'm thinking, like, how is that possible? Like, they seem to connect with each other in in such deep ways. How is it possible that that they're so lonely? And what the researchers are finding is that people in that generation are spending less and less time with their friends physically and more and more time on social media. And even when they are with friends, they're often on social media. And so even though we can connect with millions of people around the world, We still need physical relationships, people we can touch, people we can feel, people we can look into their eyes, people we can hear from, people we can speak to, to address the loneliness that we have in our lives. And with the advancements of technology today, we have the ability to move farther and farther away from our home, away from our our family, our friends, places that we grew up. And some of that, I think, is leaning us towards some of the loneliness that we experience. So I'm just curious, how many of you would say you have ever moved away from your home to another place for another opportunity? You moved away from family and friends. How many of you have done that? All right, hold your hand up high. How many of you moved away on purpose to get away from family and friends? Okay, you can leave your hand up. We know that happens as well. Okay, now how many of you would say that you have experienced large amounts of loneliness in your life that it affected you negatively in some way? So if that's you, hold your hand up high. There's many people here. 
that have experienced that. And again, I think it's having some big impacts on our lives. I've experienced loneliness throughout my life in different parts. I've experienced loneliness when I was uh, before middle school as a, a young, young kid. And my family moved three times uh, before we hit middle school. And for me, if you don't know me outside of Sunday morning, you might think I'm an extrovert, uh, but I'm not. I'm actually a uh, site-specific extrovert. I can act like one. And the rest of the week, like, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, so I kind of recharge um, alone by myself. And uh, I've found it hard at times when I get into new environments where I don't know people, like when I was a kid going into a new school, you know, trying to make new friends, that was kind of challenging for me at times. And maybe you can identify with that. We just might have some new students here who are about to start school tomorrow. And if you're new, like, yeah, that can be kind of a crazy experience where you're a little bit nervous about walking into a new school and are people going to accept you? Maybe you're here starting a new job and, you know, you haven't really made a connection with people at your work yet. And that can be kind of a lonely experience or you haven't connected with people in your community, your neighborhood. That can be kind of lonely. I've experienced those things. Um, as an adult, I've experienced loneliness in my role as a leader. I've experienced loneliness in my role as a pastor. I've even experienced loneliness in my marriage. And my wife and I have been married 25 years, and I would say we have a great marriage. And we've had the ups and downs like every uh, couple has. Um, but my wife and I were just saying to each other not long ago that we miss each other, that we're, we're lonely. We're going full speed, all kinds of activities, and you know, keeping up with our kids and their activities. And there are moments we just like, man, I miss you. Like, I just want to connect with you more. So loneliness, I think, is something that all of us experience. And I'm going to say something right now that's going to feel a little bit weird to you. But I actually think that loneliness is another proof for the existence of God. So hang with me for a minute as I try to build my case. I actually think that God has hardwired us with a longing for belonging that there's this ache inside of all of us. And when we don't belong, when we're not connected with a group, when we're not connected on a team, when we're not connected uh, with a family, we're not connected in a network, when, when we don't have those real relationships, those real people that we can reach out and touch, those people that we can call in those moments when we're in crisis, when we don't have that and we experience loneliness, it points back to the reality that God, God hardwired us with a longing for belonging. And I think there's scriptural evidence for this. So we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And if you're not familiar with scripture and you don't know how this kind of unfolds, it's, it's amazing. So God speaks things into existence. God just speaks and then stars form and galaxies are there and the earth is formed and water and light it's just amazing to read through the first part of Genesis and understand how powerful God is. And then in chapter two, verse seven, God did something different. It says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So I, I love the, the, the picture of that. So what I get in my mind is I get the idea of God being a master sculptor. And so before he speaks things into existence and then he picks up some dirt and he starts molding and shaping and crafting his masterpiece that he's gonna present to the world. It's a beautiful picture of a loving, caring God, caring about every little detail about each and every one of us. And then... A few verses later, in verse 18, 
God's interacting with Adam and God makes this amazing statement. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I've always found that verse a little bit fascinating because the reality is Adam was not alone. Adam was in a perfect relationship with God and yet God looked at Adam as an alone man, didn't have another human being to be in a relationship that with that he could touch, he could feel, he could talk to, listen to, didn't have that. And God said, we got a, a problem here. This is a problem. This aloneness is a problem. God had an answer for that aloneness problem. And that answer was Eve. So then God took off his sculpting gear, put on his doctor gear, and he put Adam to sleep. And he took a rib out of Adam and crafted woman. And guys, aren't you so glad God didn't stop at us? Like, man, that just wouldn't have been enough. God created Eve and presented Eve to Adam and his mind was blown. And still our minds are blown uh, as we think about our relationship between men and women. God lovingly and carefully crafted Uh, that relationship. So I think God has hardwired us with a longing for belonging, a desire to connect emotionally, relationally, physically, and even spiritually with other people. But I want you to notice where that longing comes from. So go back into Genesis 1. So verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then we go down to verse 26. Verse 26, we see something a little bit different here. It says, then God said, let, what's that next word? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So verse 26 tells us there's a plurality to God. And you may be a little bit confused about that, but we got to keep going because there's more clarity as we look in John chapter one. So John's in the New Testament part of the Bible. And John chapter one says this, very similar to Genesis chapter one. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Who can tell me who the word is? The word is Jesus. And if you're not familiar with scripture, you read down a little bit more and you see in verse 14, it says this. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. So verse 14 makes it clear who the word is. So at creation, we have God the father, God the son, God the Holy Spirit all together working to create everything we know and all the stuff we haven't discovered yet. That's what Christianity calls the Trinity. Now, there's much confusion out there today about the Trinity. Um, There's many people that say, you know what, that just kind of makes God some three-headed monster, and I don't understand that. That's just weird. Some people say the Trinity doesn't exist because the word's not found in the Bible, and yet there are other words not found in the Bible, and yet the concept is found all over the Bible. Some people say it doesn't exist because the Bible says that there's only one God. But Christianity is the only faith system that claims that God exists in a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct beings, and yet one Godhead, or I'd like us to think about it in the concept of one family, 
One God family. So the reality is God has always existed within a loving relationship. So I think the reason we have inside of us this longing for belonging is because God created us that way and because God has always existed that way. God has always existed in community. Now, here's some things I want us to understand about that and what that means for us. So the really cool thing is that God invites us into his family. God invites us to be a part of this perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we get into that family through a personal relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if that messes your mind up, but it sure messes my mind up to think that God wants an imperfect me in his perfect relationship. The reality is Jesus came to die so we could be invited into his family. We could be invited into that relationship And if you are a Christ follower, you have certain responsibilities in that relationship. If you are not a Christ follower yet, you're invited every day to become a part of a relationship, to be connected, a place where you belong, where you are known, where you are loved. So with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where nobody's lonely. And God did. He invited us into his family. Now, like I said, being members of God's family means we have certain responsibilities to each other, certain responsibilities within that family. And in the New Testament part of the Bible, as you read through the Bible, you understand there are a number of things that stand out as things that we should do. These responsibilities start to become very clear, and they are known as the one another verses. So we're going to look at some of those for right now, and then we're going to talk about some of those in this series. So listen to what the Bible says about our responsibility to each other. Mark 9.50 tells us to live in peace with each other. John 13.34 says love each other. Romans 12.10 says honor each other. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says care for each other. Galatians 5.13 tells us to serve one another. Galatians 6.2 tells us to carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 4.2 says be patient with each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind, compassionate, and forgive each other. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to each other. Colossians 3.16 says, teach each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, encourage one another. And then get this one. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. Doesn't that one sound like a whole lot of fun? The Bible's full of responsibilities that we have to each other as members of God's family. So we're gonna explore that in this series, what those responsibilities are. And the first responsibility that we're gonna look at is found in Romans chapter 15, verse seven. This is God speaking through the apostle Paul at this time. I need your help, okay? So there's a few words I want you to point out with me. So that verse says this. It says, therefore, what are the next three words? Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to accept me. Great. Now turn back to that person and say, God wants me to accept you. Hey, hey, I didn't ask you to start a conversation or anything. It's just one sentence. Come on now. Stay with me, people. Now, as, as simple as this sounds, 
We accept each other. That sounds pretty simple. And yet I found in my life and I found in the lives of many people that this is a very hard thing to do. I, I think we see that showing up at our schools. And I, we all know what that experience is like. We know what it's like to kind of be left out of the group or made fun of by another group of people and not be in the cool group or the popular group. And we know what it's like to be excluded in that context. Uh, but we also see it in work environments. We see it in politics. Sometimes it even shows up in church place that it never should show up. Um, but it shows up all over the place. And we, we sometimes struggle to accept other people. And I've even struggled with it in my own life. So here's an example from my life. So when I was in middle school, uh, my family went away for a summer. I think it was about a month that we were gone. And when I came back, my best friends had, my be- best friend had connected with another friend in our neighborhood who wasn't really part of our group, just kind of a fringe guy in our, our neighborhood. But they had connected while I was gone. And when I came back, they both made it very clear, you are no longer in the group. We got a new group that excludes you. So I would call them up, I'm like, hey, man, I'm back. What's up? Can we get together and do some stuff? And no, I'm not available. I just can't get together. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, I would see them go do some stuff together, and I was never included, never invited. And for, I don't remember how long that was, but for a few days to a week or so, I mean, it was just a lonely experience. And then my friend and I reconnected. And everything was kind of back to normal. I was back in that little group, and then uh, this other guy was out of that group. And you would have thought that I, after experiencing the pain of that, would have said like, wow, like that loneliness like really stunk. Now, maybe I should include that guy in our friendship, but I didn't. I was so glad to be back in. I didn't care that he was out. And I look back on that with a heavy heart. Like that grieves me. Like there was somebody who was struggling with loneliness, the same stuff I was struggling with. And I didn't extend to him what I was hoping would be extended to me. And I think we all struggle with accepting others. Like I guarantee you there's somebody you have a hard time accepting. There's somebody somewhere, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's on social media, maybe somebody voted differently than you, maybe someone has a different lifestyle. Maybe somebody has a different skin color. I don't know who it is, but there's somebody out there that you struggle to accept. And what God tells us is accept each other just as Christ has accepted us. So let's think for a moment about how Christ has accepted us. Romans 5.8, powerful verse says this. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So get the concept that's, that's being communicated there, the reality that's being communicated, the moment that we're shaking our little fists at God saying, leave me alone, you're not the boss of me, you're not gonna tell me what to do. That moment when we're rejecting the creator of the universe, God says, I love you. Jesus says, I'll go die for them. They're worth it. And understand the reality of what that means. God knows everything about you. God knows everything you've done. I might not know that. Other people may not know that, but God does. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every thought you will ever have, and he loves you. He accepts you fully for who you are, and he says, you're worth dying for. You're fully known, fully loved, 
fully accepted by the creator of the universe. And I think that thought should humble all of us in his love for us. But here's the amazing thing about God's acceptance. Even though he accepts us for who we are, he never leaves us how we are. God never leaves us how we are. He wants to, he accepts us and he wants to transform us so that we can become more like Jesus. And I'll be the first one to admit, there are many parts of me that are not enough like Jesus. I still say and do things that I should not say and do. I I desperately need to be transformed from the inside out to become more like Jesus. And I think this is where we get a little confused when it comes to accepting other people. There are moments, I think, that we think, if I accept that person of a different lifestyle, I accept that person who votes very differently than I do, they have a different faith system or different belief system, um, then that means I must approve of their lives. Like, if I invite them to lunch or if I spend some personal time with them, like, people are going to think, what, you approve of them and, and, and how they live? When did Jesus ever do that? When did Jesus ever get afraid that somebody was going to think that he was spending time with the wrong people? Scripture's clear. He spent time with everybody. And often he would spend time with people that the religious leaders would say, why are you spending time with those people? And Jesus says, I came for those who know they're sick. I didn't come for those who think they're well. Jesus accepted everybody, but he didn't leave them that way. He tried to help them become more like himself. And I think that's what we need to work on is not just accepting people, but taking that next step to helping them become more like him. They become more like Jesus. Here's an example from my life. I've got a friend of mine who, like everybody I know that knows him, finds him hard to accept. Uh, He's rude, crude, obnoxious, um, very anti-religious, And he knows I'm a pastor and he loves to kind of stick that in my face often and make comments for shock value. He's he's always looking to see what I'm going to do, how I'm going to respond. And I I just try hard not to respond to anything, not to react to anything. I just, you know, listen and accept him for who he is. But here's the deal. I don't want to leave him how he is. I want to help him take a step towards Jesus. I would love it. My friend would meet Jesus and be radically transformed by him. So I keep investing in him. I keep spending time with him. I keep inviting him to church, except this past Easter, I didn't invite him. And he noticed. I've been inviting him to church for several years. This past Easter, I decided, I'm just not gonna invite him this year. Every time I invite him, he says no. And then something like derogatory and you know, hurtful, and I'm just not gonna invite him. Then the next time I saw him, he said, hey, why didn't you invite me to church? <laughs> you never know. I just might come. And I'm looking right now. I don't see him. But if he shows up, I'm going to pass out on stage. <laughs> this guy's obnoxious. But he needs Jesus. And I'm not going to allow his... Um, him being obnoxious and him being hard to accept to keep me from accepting him, but not leaving him there, doing everything I can to help him meet the creator of the universe who can radically transform his life. That's what we want to happen here at Epic. Uh, We want to accept everybody 
So maybe you're new this morning. Maybe you walked in and you're like, I don't know this, this church thing. I'm just going to try this thing out. I'm not sure if this is for me or not. And like, if you're new, you're coming in like all of us come into a new environment, a little bit nervous. Every time I go visit a new church, I walk in a little bit nervous. People going to talk to me? Am I going to feel weird? Are they going to make me do something I don't know what to do? Are they going to sing a bunch of songs I don't know how to sing? Are they going to talk about stuff I don't know what to do? Am I going to show up in the wrong outfit? Like, am I going to be overdressed or underdressed? Like, am I going to fit in with everybody that's there? Like, you know, I wonder that same stuff. If you're new, you're probably wondering that same stuff as well. But I want all of us to think about somebody around you. So maybe you're not new. Maybe you've been coming for years. Maybe this is your church home. I want you to think about people sitting around you, maybe in front of you, maybe beside you, maybe behind you. There just might be somebody who is so incredibly lonely. Like, just maybe this is the last shot at something. Maybe they heard about Epic, maybe somebody invited them, and they just showed up today saying, God, if you're real, I'm in desperate need to know that. I need you to extend something to me. I, know I need you to reveal yourself in some supernatural way to me. I meet people here at Epic like that on a regular basis. Several years ago, I met a guy right back there that was in that spot. And just happened to be walking past when he was sitting there by himself. I didn't know him, so my habit, if I don't know you, I'm going to come up and get to know you. And so I went up and said, hey, man, how are you doing? And uh, he just kind of vomited it all out. And I didn't have to ask much. Just one question, and out it came. So this is my first time here. My world's falling apart. My wife just asked for a divorce. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I need something. And I don't know what it is. But I just saw this church when I come and just see if somehow I could connect with God in some way. So we talked, we prayed. God allowed us the opportunity to get together. Uh, he and his wife later, we talked about their relationship. We talked about how they could do it God's way. And there's a possibility that they could really fix this thing if they really you know, tried it the way God designed it. And uh, they started working on that. Shortly after that, they moved away. I'm not sure where they are, what's happening with them now. But again, think there's somebody around you. Somebody sitting next to you just might be in the loneliest spot they've ever been in their entire lives, and you just might be God's answer for them. You extending a smile. You welcoming them. You asking them a question. Hey, how are you doing? You're just getting to know them a little bit. Just might be the thing where they go like, okay, God, like maybe there's people out there that can, can care about me. Maybe there's people out there that I can connect with. Just maybe you're real. Like you, you never know what a simple thing of accepting somebody and welcoming them could do for them in their journey, their relationship with Jesus. I think it's so incredibly important to God. It's so incredibly important to us as a church family. A few of us were at a conference this past week, a leadership conference, and um, there was a, a speaker that was talking about this issue of, of not just accepting people, but including them at a deeper level. And she made this powerful statement that I just can't get away from. She said this. She said, don't just invite people to the party. Invite them to dance. I love how she phrased that. Uh, we've all been to parties that we've you know, been invited to and you don't know anybody and you kind of walk in and you're like, oh, is anybody going to talk to me? Let me get some, you know, something to drink and stand on the wall this whole time. And like, you want to be there, but you don't want to be there. And you wonder if anybody's going to engage you. I love the concept of that. We shouldn't just invite people to the party. Invite them to dance. 
Invite him to engage. Invite him to take a next step towards or with God. Invite him into your small group. Invite him onto your serving team if that's appropriate for you. Invite them to, to find a place, a starting point for them that maybe will help them grow in their relationship with God. Maybe they need to go to FPU. Maybe they've got some financial issues. If they do, go with them. You'll benefit as well. Like, there's all kinds of things that we can do to accept people and help them take a next step towards or with God. So with millions of people in the world, somebody should figure out a system where nobody's lonely. And God did. He invited us into his family. And he asked us who are in his family to extend that invitation to others as well. So how are you doing at that? Now, we're going to close today a little differently than we normally do. So what we're going to do as we close is I'm going to pray and then if you noticed, if you're a regular attender, you may have noticed we didn't do our meet and greet earlier. It's because we're going to do it now. So while we do our meet and greet, I'm going to pray and then you're going to be free. And what I want you to do is like look around and talk to somebody behind you or in front of you or beside you. If you know the people next to you, don't talk to them. <laughs> talk to somebody you don't know. Okay. And uh, if your heart's beating a little fast, your you know, palms are sweating, I get it. I get it. I understand. Um, but just ask a few questions. Um, you can ask, hey, how long have you been coming? How'd you find this place? Uh, what do you like to do for fun around here? Just a few questions, and you'll be surprised. You might just make a new friend. If you're single, you know, maybe you're looking for that really pretty girl. And uh, I'd, I'd say, go talk to her. You never know what could happen in church, right? Sorry, that was a little joke. <laughs> so I'd love for us to create a space where everybody knows you're welcome here. We want to help you to grow to become more like Jesus. So we're going to pray, and then Matt and Mitch are going to come out, and they're going to create some mood music, kind of like, <laughs> like we're at a party. And I encourage you to invite somebody to dance. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for... And just the reality of scripture when when we look at this issue of loneliness and I I think as we dig deeper into that loneliness, something that none of us like to understand that loneliness points back to you and how you've wired us. You've wired us with a longing for belonging. And when we don't experience that, we do experience the loneliness that's there. And God, you've created us to live inside of community inside of relationships with other people who can care about us, who can love us, who can pray for us, who can help us grow to become more like Jesus. And with the loneliness issue that's in our world, like just somebody should figure out a way to solve that, and you did. You invited us into your family. So Lord, I pray that we as a church family would understand that deeply, that we would go out of our way to accept others. We would go out of our way to help other people take steps in their relationship with you. So Lord, help us to live that out on a daily basis so people know that they are loved, they are accepted, and this is a place that they can belong. Help us to live that way every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Make a new friend.